0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Um, our series beginning today is 100. We've been advertising that over the last couple of weeks, and uh, this is a, a really important time for us. So we're moving 100 days from this weekend right up to Easter is actually 100 days. And we're going to be uh, in this journey. We're going to be, see how we are strategically or can be strategically connected to living missionally in following Jesus. Growing deeper and serving others and giving to the mission that God has for us here at Bethesda. And so today we begin with follow. Everybody say follow. Okay, so you're, some of you are with me. That's good. Everybody say follow. There we go. Uh, it's the beginning of a new year. And uh, we're a couple of weeks into that uh, new year. And let's be honest, we're following something or someone, right? Whether it's a, 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 a new lease on something that you want to do for, do for you in the new year or something or someone. But it's amazing how, how time and culture changes the meaning of words. For example, the word tweet 20 years ago meant the sound of a bird, Right? Now it is a social media platform, Twitter. Can you imagine saying the word "tweet" in a sentence 20 years ago? But now it's it's, it's a social media platform called uh, Twitter. Uh, spam meant canned mystery meat, right? Or I mean, I, I still love it today. But uh, back then, I mean, I mean back then it was called you know, called spam. Now it's now it's unwanted emails. And for example, roaming wasn't something you did on your phone. How could you when your phone was attached to the wall, right? So now it's, you know, you could be roaming on your phone. It gets even more complicated when you add Newfie-lingo to words. I, was, I watched this play just a couple of weeks ago. I was at a, at a coffee shop, and there was a family next to me, and these, this family was clearly from Newfoundland. Okay, you just know that. And I could probably guess what part of Newfoundland they were from. And they were sitting there talking, and, and you know, and it was a sort of very thick accent. And just, you know, I could, I could understand them because I'm, I'm very, very astute in when it comes to new lingo because I'm from Labrador, right? And, and so I'm sitting there listening to them, and and, and uh, somebody passes by them, and one person says, "Do you know who Day is?" I'm like, "What do you mean? Do you know who Day is?" See, they replace "they" with "day," but if you were from, some of you are smiling at me, and some of you are not because you say it yourself, right? Or, or and, and it was actually a male person, so they said, do you know who he is? Who he? Do you know he? And I'm thinking to myself, if you were from another, uh, how, how do you even translate that? So if you add Newfie Lingle to words, it even makes it even more interesting. Uh, another one is when you ask someone who are the, the people you know, it meant to know someone on a personal level. People you know today is who, who you follow on, on, on Facebook. I know them. You don't know them. They like you on, on Facebook. And on a deeper level, you can tell when someone follows something or someone by what they look like or by what they wear. So tell me who these people follow. This person. Next one, please. The greatest hockey team in all of the universe, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now tell me who these, this person follows. It's okay if you're a Habs fan. They won last night, okay? Now look at his sad face. Now go back to the first one, the one before, the coast smiling. See, they're, they're contemplating th- this year and who's gonna win the Stanley Cup, okay? So we'll leave it there. So wh- what about this person here? Next, next one, next, this one here. Who, who does this person follow? It's a soccer team, Brazil, absolutely. And so sports fans are not only the people that let others know who they follow by what they wear. Religious people do this all the time. Who's, who's she following? Oh, you're all church people. Now you're afraid to say anything, right? <laughs> Muhammad. Uh, who are these following? Next slide. Buddha. We know this because of what, what they're wearing, just by the picture. What are these guys following? Following? Sikhism, right? They're Sikhs. Well, what does, what, what, does a, what does a follower of Christ look like? What, 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 what should they wear? Maybe it's this. This guy's called the rainbow guy for some reason. On the other end of this, what, should, should a follower of Christ look like this? God hates you. I mean, that's not very inviting, is it? That's not very attracting. I'm not attracted to that because of of these things. And so what does a follower of Jesus look like? As we begin this series, we find ourselves in one of the first accounts of Jesus offering this intimate call to follow him. Such a powerful word, but when he made that statement in all accounts of the, the gospel, he is asking it in a context where no one was following him. There were no disciples before there were disciples. As a matter of fact, the context was a very religious context. And religious leaders at the time had their version of what following Jesus should look like or following God should look like. As a matter of fact, it was this. Do this and this and you can follow us. That's what a follower looked like. But Jesus enters life and his message wasn't a religious message. His message was this. If you follow me, I can change your life. Now you have to remember, no one followed Jesus when he began his ministry. The disciples, didn't; they weren't believers. Some were caught in this Roman rule. Others caught in religious systems that majored on doing things to attain some type of relationship with God. But at the very beginning, Jesus was on his own for the most part. And we sometimes carry that mentality into what it is for us to follow God now. If I do this, this, and this, and this, then I can have a relationship with God. It's a list of doing things. But Jesus' journey on earth was so different. If for some reason all you ever read was the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what you would realize right away. If you never read anything else, never read the Old Testament, or anything like that, you picked up and you read for the very first time the four Gospels, it was extraordinary, and it was extraordinarily relationship-driven. As a matter of fact, he gives us several pictures, Jesus gives us several pictures of what, how, how relational the Gospels are. He likens our relationship with him like a father to a child. For example, you read that throughout the Gospels. A second way was the vine and the branch. It, it wasn't, the vine wasn't saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. No, the vine was the source and the branch if had, it had a relationship, it was connected to the source. So you see how relational Jesus was trying to be both, both with his words and with word pictures. Another one was, of course, a shepherd and a sheep. For us, that is a bad illustration. Oh, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna never say that one again. Okay, thank you. But in Jesus' culture, there was this very familiar, they understood that shepherds cared for sheep. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. When I speak, they hear me. That's how relational the shepherd is with the sheep, and so it's, 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 it is incredibly relational. And we have been invited into this extraordinary relationship with Jesus, and if you approach to, your approach to a relationship with God is anything less or anything more, you may be missing out. You see, the word Jesus came back to over and over in the Gospels is two words we are going to lean into for this part of the series, and it's follow me. It's important to know what this means as we introduce what it is to live missional. What's what's so extraordinary about this is Jesus extends this invitation to anyone imaginable. The rich, the poor, the religious, the non-religious, spiritual people, not spiritual people, people who didn't believe in God, he would say, hey, follow me. He didn't say, figure out your life. Get yourself together and follow me. He said, come as you are and follow me. What's even more amazing is Jesus begins his journey in such a backwards way that it upsets most of the religious constructs at the time because they had an idea of how Jesus should conduct himself. But he begins with an engaging a tax collector. And Matthew is telling the story about himself, And he says, as Jesus went on from here, next slide, he saw a man named Matthew, see Matthew, Matthew, sitting there at a tax collector's booth. Now let me solicit an emotion of what a tax collector was in that day. It's like today, that 20-year-old old guy out behind the local uh, store selling drugs to a middle schooler. That's what a tax collector was like. Those emotions that are you feel now—that's what a tax collector was in that day, and the reason why they were such uh, awful people, I guess you could say, is because you see, Roman would would uh, sell the rights to, to to taxes. They would bid them out, and Romans would 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 get them, and then they would hire Jewish people to to collect taxes on themselves. So Matthew was a Jewish guy collecting taxes on his own people. And what he would do is, see, Rome, all they wanted was a certain amount of taxes. And what tax collectors would do is they would put a little bit on the top of it, or a lot on the top of it, for themselves. So Matthew is that person. He's not liked in that setting. And Jesus walks up to Matthew. Jesus could have said so many things to Matthew. He could have said, your parents must be proud of you, Matthew. Right? Right? Stealing money from other people. Could have said a lot of things to him. Now you are got to remember, Jesus has a crowd around him. He's a rabbi. He's about to choose people to call his disciples. And all the things he could have said, he says two profound words. And here they are, right here. Follow me. It doesn't say anything else. And you can almost, it doesn't say in the script or in the text, But you can almost, you could imagine there had to be a collective groan with the crowd around him. Follow me. Are you kidding me? Of all the people he could have engaged, it had to be Matthew, a thief, a a dissenter. Of all the things Jesus could have said, this decision to engage Matthew this morning means more to you and I than you realize. This flips on its head what it means who qualifies to follow Jesus. And here's Matthew's response. Matthew gets up and follows him. At this point in Scripture, Jesus has already solicited two other disciples, and that's Peter and Andrew. And you have to think that they have to be in the crowd that day, following Jesus. They were on the water. Jesus engages them. And they leave their occupation, and they follow Jesus, and he, they have to be in the crowd that day. They have to be thinking, following Jesus can't be that simple. For a tax collector to be able to be engaged with Jesus, the religious people who are standing there must be saying the same thing. It can't be that simple. Follow me, and a tax collector gets up and does this. He makes a formal invitation to the worst of the worst. He's saying, if you identify with me, then I will with you. But if you're a religious person in the crowd, or a Peter and an Andrew, if you grew up with the idea of that following Jesus is work and a list of do's and don'ts, you want to say things like this to Matthew, right? You fill in the blank. If you can do this Matthew... You can follow Jesus, and we could place our own words in there because we have been guilty of that, of lists of do's and don'ts, and if I'm better, then God will love you more. And this is the idea that they had, and they couldn't put it together. The tax collector? Well, no, 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 hold on a second. Andrew's saying, if you can do this, if you're willing to follow a version of what it is to have a relationship with God, then you can follow me. That's what we want to say, but he says, follow me. And this is the same invitation Jesus extends throughout the gospel, the invitation to just come and follow. And I look around in this room this morning, and it's made up with different people. Uh, some, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe that's you in the room today, or you grew up in church like me, and when I say John 11, you know exactly what it is, right? Lazarus. Some of you are learning it for the very first time, to be honest now. How amazing would it be if we accepted Jesus' invitation as simple as he portrays it in Matthew 9 and asked the question, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? Jesus. Not did I go to church or did I read the Bible enough? Did I do or didn't I do this? But just simply ask the question. If this seems simple to you, then you are standing with the crowd of Matthew 9. Because the very next scene, look what happens while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Hold on a second here. This is a whole different level, isn't it? Picture this now. See, tax collectors solicit a number of types of taxes, water tax. And that's where, G- where Matthew was that day. He had a tax collector booth set up by the shore. They collected water tax. They collected wine tax. They collected uh, uh, property taxes. They're not well-loved people. And it's one thing to engage Matthew Jesus at his place of work, but you go to his home? Wow. If you think Peter and the disciples had a problem engaging him as a tax collector's at booth, it's bad enough, isn't it? he's home having a cup of tea with them and while Jesus I love this while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house many <laughs> I find this funny many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them. Many so so you, you picture this. The tax collectors were so bad; it was so offensive to sinners to be associated with them. I might be a sinner, but at least I'm not a tax collector, right? And Matthew's only friends were other tax collectors and traders to 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 uh, their town and other sinners. They didn't go to the temple or associate with religious people. They were off to the side. They were had their own category as sinners. And Jesus shows up at his house. You need to, to know why this is a big deal today. If you're not a follower of Jesus or left church years ago or into things that you think that doesn't, that qualifies you for, to follow Jesus, you need to know that Jesus was in his sweet spot in this setting, in their house. And I like what what Andy Stanley says about this, and this is his thought here, and I formed around uh, this part of the message. He says this, Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people that weren't anything like him, and people who were nothing like Jesus were attracted to him. This is something I have to work on. (laughs) And even though Jesus is God in human form here, surrounded by people who were the worst sinners and those people were attracted to him, this is so important to the anti-religious person in the room today. Maybe you don't believe in God, you have questions about Jesus and not sure about following him, and for some reason, you've been hurt by a Christian, or the church has caused you pain because of a version of following God, excluded you from being loved. You need to know today that that's our fault. Not the Savior's fault, because Jesus reminds us as he is sitting with Matthew and his friends that there is nothing you could do or say that would remove his love from you. This is where you say amen. Jesus loves you. Jesus is not put off by your sin. Jesus is not uncomfortable even though he knows your past. That's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? And knowing Matthew, his deceit, and what he has done, how he has deceived and filled his pockets with other people's hard-earned money, looks at him and he says, Hey, Matthew, follow. Follow me. And he's being followed by curious people, but by people who had a version of what God should be. And when they get to Matthew's house, the Pharisees are not invited. So they stood, they stood outside. Of course he did. Because their version of relationship with God was a set of rules. And so the fact that Jesus moved from words, right? His words was follow me to action and sitting with people who he invites to follow him. This is foreign language to the Pharisees. And Jesus is reminding us in the room today that if we are followers of Jesus, then our words and our actions have to coexist. You hear what I'm saying? If we say we are followers of Jesus, our words of love have to line up with our action of love. How well you love Jesus should come out in how well you love people. That's how you know if you're a true follower of Christ. That's why I don't understand critical, angry, mean Christians. Because the moment you come in contact with Jesus, the moment you pray and have a relationship of the forgiver of your sins, the embodiment of grace, the last thing I am thinking about is holding a grudge against somebody. You hear what I'm saying? If you want to know if you are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself how well do you love people? Read John 13. How you will know you're my disciples. Love one another. How do you love those who cannot love you back? How do you treat people who deceive you like a tax collector? The two didn't line up here in Matthew 9. And the religious leaders had knowledge of God, but didn't, it didn't coexist with their actions. How do we know this? Look, they they, they give themselves away. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? A perfect giveaway. Because they're standing in the crowd. They have knowledge of what it is to have a relationship with God. But their knowledge didn't coexist with their actions. And they ask. They're confused. Because they think he is like their Pharisees, right? Because he is a rabbi. He's a law keeper, Jesus, a holy man. And so he has a lot in common with the Pharisees. So why didn't he invite us? Why would he choose people he's nothing like? Because following Jesus to any religious leader, remember, is do this and this and you can join us. This is so profound, church, at the beginning of this series, what it means to follow Christ. Christ. Standing in Matthew's house, he flips the idea on its head, what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means for Matthew, a tax collector, to have a relationship with him. While the religious of the day were, were saying, follow these, this, and this, and this, and this, Jesus says, follow me, and I will do something extraordinary in your life. And that's the thing, isn't it? As the band returns, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he decides to set the record straight on who is invited into this love that he offers. And there is a message today for those in the room today coming into Matthew 9. As we end today, and we will pick up next week on Jesus' response to the Pharisees in that crowd, but there is a message for two people. The first one is this, for those who are followers of Jesus, his posture in Matthew 9 is a reminder of what it is to follow him on a practical level. As he broke down religious barriers to show us what it is truly to walk with him. So as a follower of Christ, as we live out Jesus in our day today, what does follow me look like for you? Does your words and your actions coexist? Does follow me mean doing what's right even when it's difficult? Well, Jesus is the embodiment of doing that because it would have been so much easier for Jesus to stand there that day at the tax collector's booth while the crowd was around him to say, Matthew, I disown you. I condemn you. And the religious people would have been, but Jesus had a mission and that was to connect people to the Father through grace and love and sometimes doing what's right, even when it's difficult. Maybe, secondly, follow me means making choices that go against what is the easiest thing to do. We live in that day, don't we? Or maybe follow me next is is living like Christ when it's difficult to do so. Let that sink in for a moment. Maybe follow me means being submissive to God when all I want to do is my own thing. I have to raise my hand there. That's me sometimes. Maybe follow me means taking my thoughts captive and surrendering them to God. What does that mean for you? Maybe follow me means caring for the weak, the orphan, the widows, and the disenfranchised, the tax collectors around us when it's so much easier to turn a blind eye and just get caught up in my own life. Is that you today? Maybe follow me, lastly, is organizing our crazy schedules so that we leave time and space for church and personal Bible study at home. I know it's a practical one. How do you strengthen that follow me in your world? You see, Jesus' posture in Matthew 9 is a reminder to the followers of Jesus today. In this day, in this room, that just as Jesus broke down barriers to reach people, it's our life's goal to exemplify that same passion and love in all that we do. How we love others. How we order our world around our relationship with God and conduct ourselves in this world. So when you say you are a follower of Christ, are you connecting your knowledge of what it is to be a follower of Christ with your actions? And the second message is for those who have not made that step of faith, who are not followers of Christ yet. And the message for anyone here today who doesn't believe in God, as Jesus is sitting with Matthew, there is nothing that stops Jesus from loving you. Your past, your unbelief does not omit you from following Jesus. As a matter of fact, his invitation to follow him is an invitation to you because you know what? Your distance from God does not disqualify you from the invitation to follow him. It doesn't. (laughs) As a matter of fact, his invitation was tailor made for those who didn't believe, it was the invitation to the unbeliever. He doesn't say, come and do this and this and this and this and this and then follow me. He says, no, come as you are. All your unbelief, all your pain, all the things that you think that disqualifies you from being a follower of Jesus. Come as you are. And it seems to me as I look at Matthew and as I journey through this, there's a period of following Jesus before you believe. If you don't believe me, read the journey of disciples. And how many times Jesus said, do you not believe? Do, how many miracles do I have to perform? And they, at times, seemed as their character was more uh, unbelief than belief. And see, church, today maybe you struggle with that, to follow God. This invitation is tailor-made for you. Bring it all to him. The call to follow is open to whomever, wherever you are because the invitation is based on Jesus' power to change not your unbelief, not your past, or anything you might think that prevents you from being a follower of Christ. Just bring it. Bring your unbelief. Bring your pain. And so, at the beginning of this hundred days as we journey to Easter Sunday and we find out on Easter Sunday the power of the person, Jesus Christ, who served the world. At the very beginning, as we journey the 100 days, at the beginning of this series, let me ask you some questions that should provoke you a little as we end. And I want you to contemplate them in your seat. And there's three questions that will provoke both believer and non-believer. And the first one, this is, what stops you from following Jesus? What part of your life stops you from following Jesus? Maybe you, you're, you're not a believer, but you want to journey and you want to follow to see what this is about. A great next step for you is Alpha. We're offering that in a couple of weeks. We talk to Pastor Rob about it. Maybe the next question, what's one thing you can do this week to follow Jesus more closely? It's one thing. It's a question for any believer in the room today. And let me ask you this one as we end. Is there a gap between your words and your actions? Yes, I follow Jesus. And do you love others? Have you ordered your world around your belief in loving others? Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca and consider joining us for a gathering soon.